Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we start, a big thank you to Media Masters, the podcast where you'll hear one-to-one interviews with creatives and media execs. And a huge thank you to you, our voluntary subscribers, who pitch in a few quid a month to help us make even better even more ambitious programs. Join us at themediapodcast.com slash donate. Hello and welcome to The Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, first Brexit, then President Trump. With so much uncertainty in the financial markets, how will that impact our industry? Our panel confidently wades into the known unknowns. Also on the programme is news that pressure group Sound Women is to close at the end of the year. Founder Maria Williams talks to us about its legacy and what still needs to change. Plus, the BBC stars that are up in arms at the rise of the radio indies. Channel 5 records its best ever year-on-year profits. And the media quiz puts us all through our paces. That's all to come on today's media podcast. And joining me at the Hospital Club today are a trio of media buffs, a buffoonery of guests. I think that's collective noun. Uh, they are radio exec Maria Williams, talkback MD Leon Wilson, and broadcast consultant Paul Robinson. Hello, all. Hello. Hello. Just Hi. not sure about buffoonery, but uh, <laughs> it will work for now, I suppose. I just realised that when we have Leon and Paul together on the show, you're the only duo we have when you've both got sandwich chains named after you. That's yes. what we came up in the lift together, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Well, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The left out. You, you are left out, Maria. And, Still and actually, time. You can be the filling, Maria. <laughs> I'd go to... Good Lord. <laughs> I'd go to a sandwich chain called Maria. Is that a bit too close <laughs> to knuckle? Yeah. We're living in a post-truth world. Who knows? Absolutely. Uh, before we get into the impact of, of Trump uh, and Brexit and whatever else is going to uh, screw over the world this year, let's talk about the election night coverage itself. Kind of a big deal. I found myself drawn to CNN. I was watching the BBC, but I just had to see it with an American accent. And Katie Kay, except she doesn't call herself that, she calls her Katie Kay, weird. That wasn't enough for me. What about you? Yeah, I watched CNN and the BBC. I tried watching ITV, which I thought was really dull. I mean, I just, there was no energy there at all. Um, somehow, CNN had just more attack, um, a lot more opinionated too, which I quite liked actually. But you know what? I went to bed one o'clock and thinking, oh, it's all going to be fine. And then, of course, a bit like Brexit, Sounds woke up familiar. at five o'clock and thought, oh, it's all gone horribly wrong. <laughs> 
What did you watch? I didn't watch anything. What? I was writing scripts until about three in the morning and I couldn't watch anything. And then I went to bed. I was about two in the morning uh, and then I um, was on online in bed thinking I'll just check before I go to bed, make sure it's all going well. Then I, it was like half two and oh, hang on, she's behind in Virginia. Oh no, this is not looking good. And who were you um, following? I was on, well, it, was, it was really interesting. I was trying it was between the Guardian what, live blog and the BBC and it was actually quite hard to get a true picture of what was going on, I thought, mm. uh, online at least. It was because there was a lot of, it was, I mean, it was confusing around that time in the morning at two in the morning. That was where it was all changing. Um, but I felt like what I felt was that was, it was sort of, a, everyone wanted it to be a close contest because it suited their needs as broadcasters or as websites. It was sort of deliberately sometimes hard to work out what's going on because almost that confusion draws you in mm. and you're kind of then stuck reading millions of different sort of, you know, mm. feeds and stuff. It, it felt to me in the UK at least it was hard to get a true picture of what was going on until quite late in the day. I, unlike Paul and Leon being stalwarts and staying up late, I'd learned my lesson from Brexit where I went around somebody's house and we stayed up to watch it and it was so miserable. I basically vowed never to do that again. So I looked at the time codes, you know, trying to work out when the results would come through and decided I was going to go to bed early and get up early. So that's what I did. So I missed all the the excitement. (laughs) I almost couldn't watch it. You know, I was really genuinely fearful. So when I woke up, and sat down and I listened to everything on Five Live, didn't go near Radio 4, I thought Five Live did an amazing job, obviously I, by the time I got to them they were covering it non-stop, so I heard Trump's sort of celebration speech on that and also I got an awful lot of news uh, online which I've never done before and I wasn't on my laptop, I was just on my phone, so Facebook I saw Trump live, you know, accepting presidential nomination i was getting guardian alerts through i was getting telegraph alerts through it was a very different experience for me and made me realize just how promiscuous uh, a media consumer i have become Mm. can we all agree that it was a virtue we were safe from hugh edwards again andrew neil is a better choice to front any election he seems like a lovely man but he's so bland isn't he well yeah i mean i did in the morning i switched on for uh, to andrew neil for a bit and i you know straight off i have to say i love a bit of andrew neil no, didn't Why not? What's me. wrong? Admittedly, I was coming in at the end of a very long night, so it might be that all their kind of enthusiasm, energy was spent by then, but it just felt flat. It felt a bit complacent. I talked to my son, who one of the reasons I couldn't get into my front room was it was full of 19, 20-year-old politics students all kind of hogging the television, and they were raving about CNN, and I think it's really hard. <laughs> well, that sounds crazy. Well, but, but, but I think it's hard. You wouldn't believe it, would you? But I think like CNN it's binge. really hard... However much Trump is going to impact on our lives in the UK, and he will for sure, it's very hard to replicate the the absolute passion that you feel if you're in that country waiting Mm. to see who not just your kind of, you know, equivalent of the Prime Minister are, but your head of state is Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, but we're not America. Oh, sorry, I thought you were talking people here. No, no, so what I was saying is I think that might be one reason why the CNN coverage was more more passionate and involved, you know. I'd say shout out as well to Good Morning Britain. I think Piers Morgan has finally found his point, hasn't he? He's a mate of Trump's and he yes. loves this story. He's coming and on Celebrity Juice next week. Is he? Yeah, with the Christmas special. So yeah, we're going to bring him right back down to earth. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, brave decision on his part. Yeah, I think he was forced into it by Susanna Reid. Okay. Um, I can't forgive him. He, he bumped me in the Dodgem cars when he was a reporter <laughs> on The Sun at Radio 1 and I've never forgiven Piers Well, since. fine. Well, he's going to go down next week. Okay. I mean, obviously, it's Piers. We can't wait to have Long him on memory. <laughs> Don't upset poor people. Uh, right, let's talk about how the print covered it in the States then because I guess the biggest story there is probably Newsweek 
printing a hundred and something <laughs> yes. thousand copies I of a magazine. Hundred twenty-five thousand copies. Hundred twenty-five thousand copies that said "Madam President" on the front. Yeah, but it's not the printing that's the problem. In fact, they sold them. The you actual know? I mean, distribution. Of course, they had to uh, hedge <laughs> their bets and yeah. do both. But to actually put them on sale is hilarious, utterly hilarious. It's a nightmare scenario, Jeez. isn't it? it but is. I think it is very interesting. You know, especially for those of us working in the podcast world, where you put something up. If there's a problem, you take it down. You put it up. You know, there's huge flexibility. It's really taken the pressure off to the, some extent. I, it kind of reminded me just how difficult it is if you're in print media trying yeah. to navigate that. And not on daily, but on a weekly or a monthly publication. Yeah. You know, it's a nightmare, absolute yeah. nightmare. You've got to forecast things and you're going to get it wrong occasionally. This was clearly a very large mistake. Not the first time it's happened in the US, of course. I can imagine Clinton having that on a like, toilet wall <laughs> by the end of the month. Like, that would be the picture. I'd love to know what cover. a copy is worth. Wow, <laughs> yeah. I'd love to have one of those. I suppose you're right, though, to make the point about the, the podcast world versus the print world in a way because you know for Newsweek that's their big souvenir issue this is the collectible isn't it but Mm. it's got to be by by necessity full of stuff that was written before it happened Mm. you know actually for posterity a, a copy of the spectator coffee house podcast is probably more accurate of what people are actually thinking it's really hard for print now isn't it I think it's incredibly hard and also just in terms of margins you know it's really hard for print to make money anymore the idea that you have to basically do two versions not just the cost of the actual printing it but all that journalism you know which has to be really well researched really well thought through I mean you know that's that's a huge amount of money to try and recoup what they're doing is just sweating the staff isn't it I mean they're not hiring new people everyone's working bloody hard and crazy hours so uh, I was actually oddly at Web Summit in uh, Lisbon when this news broke and there were a lot of Americans there as you might expect so it was quite interesting sort of canvassing the real reactions of people who work in the digital media industry about how they think it might impact their lives because a lot of them were Hillary Clinton supporters or actually if they were being honest probably even Bernie Sanders supporters and they all came from sort of bijou little startups kind of companies that sponsor podcasts actually but really, if you ask them, how do you think this is going to affect their industry? They mostly said, well, he's going to cut taxes. And actually, we're going to see a lot of investment in America now. So what do you think is going to happen in the UK to our media industry as a result of not just Trump, but Brexit as well? Because we've seen ITV release some figures this week that uh, suggest they're cutting staff and projects as a result of kind of uncertainty. Paul? Well, I mean, ultimately, it's all about uncertainty. It's more about uncertainty than the actual decisions or the policies of whoever becomes uh, the person in power. At least with the US presidential election, we now have Trump. And it was interesting seeing how the markets absolutely plummeted at the prospect of Trump winning. And then he won. And then the markets came back and, in fact, in C- exceeded um, and made up all of their gains and went on, on further. Um, now people are seeing it as a sort of glasses half full Trump as opposed to glass is half empty. So I think as far as the US is concerned, at least we know where we are. We don't quite know what his policies are, but he's probably going to be anti-bureaucracy, pro-business, and that probably will be good for for business. Um, As far as Brexit is concerned, it's completely unknown. And, uh, you know, uncertainty is the worst thing. You know, at the moment, the markets are reacting nervously. Um, Investors are not not making decisions. They're just delaying making decisions. And so as a result, businesses are going to cut. Also important to say that some people will use this as an opportunity to cut, you know, and they'll blame it on Brexit or blame it on the election when they would have done it anyway. But, you know, people will also take uh, early action just in case. And so they'll cut because they think bad times might come. And if they do come, I'll be prepared now rather than waiting to face it when it happens. But I mean, you, you run an indie, Leon, but it's owned by a massive company. Yeah, owned by a European company, yeah. Yeah, and, and so those big international companies, I wonder whether... 
actually, again, they're going to think, well, we've got a government now in the US which is essentially encouraging enterprise and is going to create situations where we, you know, we can find places where we pay less tax and they're going to try and make it less bureaucratic to be an international organisation. Is there a good side to this? I agree with Paul very much that um, companies will use an excuse. ITV, I think, their £25 million of cuts they've announced because of Brexit, that was well, that was planned well before Brexit happened. Uh, but in terms of being a good thing, well, th- I don't think Trump will, will massively affect us, if I'm honest. I, don't think, I think we pay far too much attention to the American uh, situation. They're one country out of 250. We, we shouldn't be so obsessed with their election. It's not our election. We never used to be 20 years ago, and I don't know why we're so, all so obsessed with it now. It all happened in 2000 with Gore and Bush, and I don't understand it. Um, in terms of Brexit... I don't think it'll have a big impact either, really, actually, in terms of the media. I, don't, I can't see the company, my company I work for, Fremantle. I don't, I don't think they're going to leave the UK. I think whatever happens, they'll stay here. That's, they seem to committed to it. I don't think it, you know, it's actually making as big as impact as many people think it is. I think a lot of people are just using it as an excuse. But if that to, excuse is being used, then that means less advertising revenue, so that might affect you. Well, the advertising revenue is probably down, I think, as much as the fact that ITV aren't getting as many viewing figures as they were a year ago. Um, I think that's part of, the, part of the thing here. You know, X Factor's down to sort of five and a half million viewers. That's you know, it's a million down last year. In general, ITV is much softer than it was. And I think they're saying it's 7% lower ad spend in the final quarter. I think that's as much to do with the fact that their viewing figures are down. It's odd kind of international sales details as well. Like, apparently no one made a version of Hell's Kitchen this year, which means they've lost 50 million or something. Well, what's interesting about ITV is, you know, what Adam Crozier has done very successfully is move the business away from being highly dependent, in fact, almost totally dependent on advertising, to being only about half dependent on advertising, the rest coming from production. And they've done a very good job at creating international formats and selling shows abroad. But it does mean, of course, if, if overseas sales don't happen or if formats don't happen, that will impact their, their revenue. So those two things coming together are not ideal at the moment ITV is relatively protected against an advertising downturn but that's the problem with advertising advertising is very sensitive to changes you know compared to Sky for example which is a subscription model Sky is rock solid no impact on Sky whatsoever no impact on the BBC the license fee doesn't change if you're advertising funded you are going to suffer the winds of change and that, that means actually Maria all those websites you were talking about visiting might start putting up paywalls mightn't they although I still think out in the world of podcasts there is a democracy about content that it would be very hard to undo. Um, but Liam, you, you were I, talking about The Guardian, The Telegraph. Oh, the go Guardian, on their website the now and a big yeah. thing pops up saying give us money. But I don't go on The Times. I do subscribe to The Guardian, actually, because I found I was stopping buying a paper, a physical paper, but I really wanted to support their journalism because I think without that, you know, we might not have MP expenses exposed, WikiLeaks, all those kinds of things. I think uh, journalism is still crucial and I am happy to pay for that. But, um, yeah, it's just really annoying when you want to read a bit and it pops up and those decisions that people make about subscription models I think are usually made on a much more long-term basis what do I want to support rather than can I buy this thing but can I just ask Leon a question because you're working uh, in the UK but for a European company are you feeling the the kind of risk that post-Brexit big European companies like yours might suddenly decide to pick you up and drop you in Dusseldorf? Um, n- not really, if I'm honest. I think there was, there was a feeling the week afterwards, there was a lot of sort of, you know, task force being formed within the company and people going to meetings. And it seems to me everyone sort of just sort of realised it's not going to make that much difference. Whatever, you know, even if it is hard Brexit, I don't think it'll actually affect things as much as we, in, in my business at least, I don't think it'll affect things that much. You know, I think it'll be, it'll be business as usual. I think it was a, there was a week of extreme panic yeah. um, for, you know, essentially a European company, but it seems to me, from what I can glean, that actually it, the plan is very much to carry on as it was before. Mm. 
Although Keith Lemon uh, being parachuted into Dusseldorf would be a, a cracking <laughs> idea. We are to any looking show. at doing a show uh, surrounding Brexit, uh, Brexit Day, as it will be known next year. Uh-huh. Uh, I think. Um, it, God, he's uh, one step ahead of the social media, isn't he? Uh, a, a Brexit road trip. Um, with Keith and Gina, we're, look, we're, sort of, we're talking to ITV at the, moment, at the moment about that. That's ITV2's version of um, uh, their take Andrew on, take on Brexit. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, I mean, on that point, it, when people feel doom, you know, and OK, maybe it's only the 50% of people who wouldn't vote for Trump if they had the vote in this country. But when those people feel doom and, you know, they feel like everywhere they turn is bad news, they want cheering up, don't they? Could that be good news for comedy commissioning, actually? Uh, I think it's probably good news for, like, late-night monologue writers on US chat, on chat shows, yes. <laughs> I think this, is, this gives them four years' worth of material, which they must be loving it in some level. It's a weird thing that, you know, the people that sort of didn't want Trump, actually, a lot of them will benefit from this yes. in a weird way. Uh, in terms of people like escapers, I think that's been the case for the last ten years, isn't it? You know, entertainment, or certainly the rise of the box set sort of, you know, world. I think that's a little bit of reaction to... The, you know the, the state of the world so but I, I don't think it'll you know i think it'll be the same as it's been for the last what, 10 years really well one story to belie the year's unpleasantness is channel 5 who recorded two years of back-to-back profits that is the first time the terrestrial broadcaster has done so paul how have they done this it's a process that started with Northern and Shell, and whatever you think of uh, Northern and Shell, they did actually uh, start to refine costs and got the business to better shape cost-wise. They didn't really invest on the programme side and didn't do a great deal on the top line on the revenue. The smart thing Channel 5 did was they used Sky Media as their sales agency. Uh, and what Sky Media have done is held rates and managed to increase the amount of uh, ads sold. So they've increased their revenue quite significantly. Top line's up by um, 20%, profit's up by basically double, um, which says that you know they're leveraging their, their fixed assets base better, um, they've improved the schedule, um, it's um, a process of continuing improvement and uh, you know that will continue now they've also got the leverage of Viacom of course and, and the cross promotional muscle and the buying power of Viacom, so uh, that will help them to acquire better programmes more cheaply uh, better advertising sales, costs under control, it's now a business that's well run But it's also important isn't it that they're doing original programming because they are importing a lot of stuff off Viacom and Viacom's other channel brands, you know, co-producing less, things. Less, I think, a little bit, I'd say. Yeah, less. UK yeah, less. Program. One of the reasons they're doing well is that they don't pay for a lot of their programmes. Mm. They're funded by Group M, which are a company that yeah. basically fund the programmes in return for sort of preferential advertising rates on the channel. So I think more than, I think double the amount of money spent from Group M on, on Channel 5 budget shows. So they don't actually pay for a lot of their shows. Uh, so they get a lot of f- essentially free shows. They're not actually free because they have to give away good advertising rates. Um, but they don't pay an awful lot for their programmes. If I, you know... Um, have an issue with Channel 5 is that they still they have managed to get costs down but you know you'll struggle to make a lot of money from making a show for Channel 5 um, they have re- very recently upped some of their budget so Lip Sync Battle was quite a big hit for them mm. and that was actually quite a high budget show when I, I had a meeting with Ben Frow about about six weeks ago and he spent most of the meeting moaning about how much he spent on that <laughs> <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say that but they have recommissioned it for another series but they did spend actual proper money on that format and it yeah. showed it was you know it, it was it was you know they had some good names on it and, mm. you know rated pretty solid, solid. It, it did about 2 million viewers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Leon's completely right. I mean, he had two strategies, really, in the days before Northern and Shell came in. Either you do that and you cut costs, either by paying less or by taking advertiser-funded programming, or you massively invest and spend a lot of money on content to drive up the audience and therefore drive up the advertising revenue. They've gone for the former model. It's worked. And they have Ben Fogel. 
Ben, ben Fogel, Fogel. Uh, Lives in the Wild, is it called? It's, it's a big hit for them. Fogel's, yep. The Fogel's are ratings. And Big Brother's done very well, too. Big Brother's Big Brother got back on form, got yeah. good ratings. But yeah. neither of those shows are talents that they've grown. It doesn't they? really matter, does it? I mean, they've, they've got a lot of hours with Big Brother. I mean, the great thing about Big Brother is it's incredibly efficient in terms of number of hours of content for the money you spend. Um, and the, um, you know, the ratings have been very strong. So I don't think there's any issue with that. You know, they've done very well with Big Brother. It's a, it was a great bank for Channel 4 for a long time when Channel 4 lost Big Brother they were really concerned about A how to fill the hours and B how to fill in the ratings points and they suffered for a while Okay, you are live on Channel 5 please do not swear (laughs) I'm coming to get you after this advert more media news in just a moment but let's take a break to find out who's on Media Masters this week with Paul Blanchard let's spin that wheel And it's landed on Christina Nicolotti-Squires, the former editor of Channel 5 News, now director of content at Sky News. Let's hear a clip. My responsibility is for the content, you know, how we how we put out the stuff that Sky News gathers, if you like, how we put it out on the telly, how we put it out on mobile, how we put it out on the radio, and various documentaries that we make, which can appear on the news shows, but also can appear on Sky Atlantic and various other places. So, yeah, it's really, it's a very broad uh, range of responsibilities. How it works out day to day, I guess I might be making up as I go along. We'll find out more as I go along. That was Christina Nicolotti-Squires. You can hear all the Media Masters interviews for free at mediamasters.fm. Time for some more media news. And sad news this week that the radio pressure group, is that a fair description, Maria? Pressure group? I don't know. It depends which side you're sitting on. I've been called, what was the worst thing I was called? An ultra-feminist terrorist cell I Great. think was the worst thing we've called <laughs> no, let me, let me so I'll, take, I'll take pressure group <laughs> sad news that the uh, ultra terrorist feminist pressure cell uh, Sound Women is to close at the end of the year uh, Maria you founded Sound Women I did um, this must have been a really difficult decision it was a really difficult decision you know nothing uh, like this is easy we've wrestled with this for about a year and a half but I think it is the right decision and uh, we have been so thrilled and cheered by the kind of wonderful response to it actually because it's as hard closing an organisation as it is launching one and actually the love that came across Twitter made it all worthwhile. I, I mean we've talked a lot on this show about the roles of women in the media and actually how generally women are underrepresented and what do we do. Liz Howell talks a lot about female representation on telly but you guys really were the, the first people to sort of make it official that you have a campaign to get more women on the radio. Let's stop just bollocksing on about it and do yeah. something. So what have you achieved? Ooh, lots. Five glorious years. And I think, you know, it's important to say that. Five years of a lot of people working very hard. And I think what we set out to do was to change the industry in two ways. By trying to change the way the industry thinks And we did that by lobbying in a really collaborative way, I think. We were very careful, you know, not to just go in finger-wagging, but to try and be part of the solution. So we uh, did research as well. I know some of the early meetings I had, God, I got told we were, oh, you're a nice to have. I got told, like, it was just a little extra cherry on the cake rather than something that was, you know, for me, fundamental about saving our industry, really. And there was a woman uh, who shall remain nameless from local radio where when we went in with the figures 
and basically said, you've got no local radio women mm. hosting a breakfast show on their own, refused to accept this could possibly be the case. <laughs> so I think doing research that had never been done before about the number of women on air was really, really useful because as soon as we showed that to people, you know, it almost wasn't about making the argument that the stats spoke for themselves. It was just so crazily skewed. But is it, is um, it as helped. bad now? It feels like it isn't. So you have achieved things there, right? There are females yeah, hosting BBC Breakfast shows. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And as soon as we launched, that was one of the things that we showcased. And immediately the same people who basically said there wasn't a problem were back on the phone. We've done mentoring schemes with women in BBC local radio. We've done three huge mentoring schemes anyway. But we have, I think, through that, changed the way people think. So it's now not acceptable to have an all-male panel anymore. It's just not acceptable <laughs> to have two men, two white men presenting the news for three hours every morning uh, non-stop without having women in there because if you don't have women on air you don't have women's lives and experiences it's not just oh we'd like a slightly different voice it's the stories that aren't getting through and you um, see two women don't you more frequently you as do. well i mean again good miranda morning Britain, sawyer, quite common god as well. bless miranda sawyer and everyone who sails in her she wrote on the weekend that two women had hosted the today program and no one had died and it's like yes victory you know we are getting there so we're making huge strides and i really think now we have we have kind of properly changed the perception of the radio industry so the radio festival you go to the radio festival and you walk in and it's no longer a sea of white men in suits which it really was when i started and then it's very hard to feel part of an industry if you don't see anybody who looks like you and that's not just women i'm here for sound women but you know it counts if you are if you are young and everyone else there is a senior manager it counts if you are black asian or minority ethnic you know, there are lots of voices that aren't being heard on radio that we want to change. But the other thing I'm really proud of that we've done is we haven't just lobbied the industry so that there's equality of opportunity. We've also, I think, really worked to develop women in radio on all sorts of levels. So we've got a massive big training scheme starting uh, tomorrow in Bristol and going to Manchester, London, uh, Birmingham. That's all about technical training. Our members have been asking for technical training for a long time. But it's also about things like confidence, about how to brand yourself, you know if you ever thought about being a voiceover artist if you're a reporter all those kinds of things and I really hope that we've equipped a lot of women particularly through our mentoring scheme which is just brilliant for getting women to kind of aim really high and not be afraid um, I hope that we've equipped them to kind of take advantage of those opportunities when they come up there's some really kind of um, ugh, I don't know are they interesting funny kind of you know heartbreaking stats going around that show that if a, a, a job comes up a bloke will look at it and think yeah I've kind of I've done a bit of that I've got 20% of the jobs you know skills they're looking for I'm going to throw my hat into the ring whereas a woman will often as not have 80% 90% 100% of the skills but will be still kind of basically going oh I'm not sure what do you think is it you know is it right for me would I be good enough blah 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 so I think a lot of it is about um, not just those opportunities but really empowering all women in radio and audio to get out there and grab them but you do still hear from people usually men but sometimes even women in the radio industry who will say still oh well there's research about this and it says that a lot of women don't like listening to women 
Yeah, it's yeah, just I, 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 rubbish. I don't believe that. I mean, look, I think, um, you know, my experience of Sound Women, I've been to a few Sound Women events and uh, I really found them quite inspirational. And I enjoyed, you know, my time at the Radio Academy working with Sound Women. I think it's fundamentally changed. When I was at Radio 1, I remember having a huge battle to get Jackie Brambles onto a daytime show. There was nobody on Radio 1 who was mm. on daytime. She was doing, she was put on the early show. We eventually took Gary Davis off and put her on. That was a huge battle. But when I was a kid listening, we had Anne Nightingale and that was it. You know, women did not think uh, radio was a career for them. And I think that's fundamentally changed. I think there's still more work to do. And what really matters now is that everybody owns the issue and that work continues, but it should now be continued as part of the overall management of radio stations. But it's a fundamental change. And I think, I think the other thing I say, Maria, is you've done it very quickly. You know, we've had 25 years of practically no progress. And then the last five years, you've made fantastic progress. And now Every major network does have women on in peak time. Radio 2 is the one where there's no one actually in the regular <laughs> schedule, although, of course, the depths are frequently women. Radio 2 has got to have a woman on daytime at some point. But, you know, you've made an amazing difference. What I'm worried about, though, if we may speak honestly between us, is that it will slip back. With it. And so we're very, very keen to make sure there is some kind of legacy. We're working to create a digital legacy so that our members can still manage to kind of communicate and correspond and swap tips and swap contacts with each other. We're in talks with people about keeping the mentoring scheme going. But our kind of key message when we closed was, although Sam Women, the organisation, is closing, the legacy is very much continuing and I would like to throw the baton out there to everybody listening to basically say please pick this up you have nothing to lose from this all you have to do is gain you know the business case for having more women on radio is really strong women make up the majority of radio listeners it makes no business sense to have white men throughout the day you know there are brilliant broadcasters out there we know it male and female we know it's going to take a little bit more time but i really would urge everybody not just sound women not just the kind of new younger generation of women coming through but men to all people working in this industry to just see this as a really great opportunity to go out there and get fresh voices get fresh experiences seize those female listeners because they are there for the taking and leon is this happening in your sphere of entertainment telly because i mean i know you've got sandy toxvig hosting qi for yes, example we do, yeah which has been a big success you've got fern and holly on celebrity juice da, da, da. yeah but you know, you look at Mock the Week, it's still a sausage party, isn't it? Well, no, they have more women on... You know, I mean, Danny Cohen... one when I saw it last week. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the sort of mandated... Uh, about four years ago, I think Danny Cohen said had to be a woman on every panel show, and that's definitely the case. And most, actually, QI... I think there's a few episodes of the series where there's, like, three women on it as well. Like, there's more women than men on it. So that's definitely... In terms of panel shows, there are more women. Mock the Week, well, I don't make that. But, you know, it is, it's le- while there might not be as many women as you might like to see on it, I think the tone of the show has changed a bit. There's not so much of a kind not of... Not quite testosterone I can't, I can't say the word, you know, something fest. It's, it's slightly more warmer as a place. Well, when yeah. I, I don't watch it a lot, but when I see it, it's a, it seems a slightly different programme than it was three or four years ago. Um, but, yeah, in telly, you know, well, there's a huge, been a huge driver for BAME, obviously, to be in the industry. I don't think there's been quite the same gender imbalance in television as it was in radio. There's, there is a bit, definitely, especially at the top end. Um, but I feel like it's never been quite... I think 
think radio has always been a bit more traditionally male dominated uh, until recently. I think Sam Wynn have done a fantastic job of uh, is definitely something needed to, to, to change, and it has it does seem to be changing. Uh, in television, our big drive at the moment really is about sort of diversity generally, about disability and BAME, and that is really that's a big priority for, for everyone in television at the moment. Okay, one more radio story. Fifty BBC personalities, including Jarvis Cocker and Andrew Marr, have written a letter to the Sunday Times asking the corporation to look again at its charter renewal plans for radio. Uh, Maria, what is their beef? I think it's about compete and compare, isn't it? Which is this um, new system that's been operating in TV for a long time uh, that is being rolled out to radio that means that indies, independent production companies, can pitch uh, for more hours of content so at the moment indies are limited to about 20 percent i think and that is going to go up to 60 percent but it's not going up to 60 percent until 2022 and also that does not mean hello indies here is 60 percent what it means is this 60 percent is open to you in that fabulous glorious bbc phrase the walk the window of creative competition so um i you know obviously i'm now very firmly outside in the indie world but I was at the BBC for a very long time I understand just how destabilising it must be if you've been working on one particular show in the BBC very happily for years to suddenly feel like you might have to pitch for it obviously that is the reality for those of us on the outside and I think there's huge amounts to be gained from getting very skilled in pitching, in you know refining your brief and coming up with ideas so I think it's a great thing I don't think the listeners will notice any change, you know they might things might change slightly but they certainly won't see any drop in quality but we, um, yeah, I agree with that I don't think there's been a sort of excellence will drop I don't think that's the case a lot of the shows I listen to the BBC are now made by independents mm. and they are as good or if not better than they ever were but are so they as good value for money that's the point isn't it they're exactly, they're the, exactly, same. exactly the same they don't exactly. the so guide anything, price is the same money because the BBC yeah. aren't allowed to hide any you know it's all kind of it's done above the line as it were you know and they, they know exactly what money's going out of the building and that pays for those shows um, I think it's I think it yeah, it won't make a difference to the quality of programs. The people who want to make radio want to make radio. They're not doing it to make a load of money in general. But, you know, you don't make no. loads of money from radio. <laughs> We're doing a Radio 4 pilot at the moment. You don't get any money from yeah. it. But you do because you want to make something. And I think the people who want to make these shows for independence will be people that are passionate and good at what they do. They won't be doing it to just make a load of money off it. Yeah. There's no money to be made really in making radio, um, you know, compared to television or films or anything, else, you know, yeah. other sort of media. Um, it's kind of that from, from a production point of view. There isn't the advertising side. But, you know, people who want to do this will want to do it to make good programs and not going to do it just for a quick buck. And um, if you look, sorry, but I mean, those of us in the indie sector, you know, everyone's looking at digital, everyone's moving out to audio because you can't make a living from radio yeah. at the moment. You know, one Radio 4 documentary is not enough to make ends meet. So the idea that strands might be up for grabs and, you know, obviously the Archers Desert Island Discs aren't coming out anytime soon. The BBC's kind of crown jewels will stay very firmly in-house while this is rolled out. But the idea that, that you might be able to, uh, you know, be able to do something bigger with with all the brilliant creative teams at your disposal, many of whom were trained at the BBC, you know, we're, we're all moving in very similar circles, I think is the sort of thing that could, you know, not just benefit the indie industry, but be the difference between some staying afloat and others not. OK, final word on this to you, Paul. The NUJ are debating this on Wednesday. Here's their question. Will the archers go the same way as Bake Off? Your answer to that. <laughs> mm. 
Uh, well, Archers is not going to go to Channel 4, is it? No, I mean, that was just a complete cock-up by both the BBC and by Channel 4. I mean, my point here is there's twofold. First of all, um, the BBC has to keep a critical mass of production. I totally understand that. And, and there's a, a trade-off here. You don't want to completely decimate internal production because that keeps you know, the creative um, process and the creative engine going. But um, putting more out to indies must be a good thing because it's better ideas. It's still going to be value for money. It's the right thing to do. I was rather bemused by the statement, though, that said um, talent-led programmes and Desert Island Discs and, and Archers will not be included, which makes him think that maybe it's other shows are not talent-led. I mean, radio is all about talent. It's all about people. You listen yeah. to the radio because someone is engaging, says something that's going to, you know, make some sort of emotional connection with you. So I found that rather odd. I think this is a good thing. Um, I understand the concern inside. Ultimately, I think it will benefit listeners. I think actually, Maria, I disagree. I think it will be better for listeners. Okay. Can I say one more thing as well, actually, to my colleagues within the BBC, you know, uh, who do such an amazing job and are brilliant creative people and, you know, I'm sure will do very well once they're in this system, once they get used to pitching. Actually, lots of them might find they really enjoy it. And also, it's very easy sometimes when you're in the BBC to be stuck, not even just on one network, but on one programme on one network. And one of the things I understand is going to happen is that it will become easier for people with in the BBC to pitch to other bits of the BBC. And that is a great thing I creatively. Agree 100%. Absolutely. Totally right. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There is just time for our media quiz. Da, da, da. This week, it's entitled Time Check. We've selected a 10-second audio clip for you that hints at a media story from the past week. Your job is to guess the correct story before the clip ends. You'll all have ten points to start. We'll deduct a point for each second that goes by before you give a correct answer. Oh my goodness, instructions this are more complicated than the quiz. <laughs> I drifted off halfway through that. Anyway, I'm sure okay, we'll have a go. The winner gets a special breaking news button that they can use in everyday life. Okay, Maria, you're first. Here's your clip. I switched on this morning, time to hear you being... Stop the clock! Two seconds deducted, Maria. You have eight points if your answer is correct. What is it? 
This is Sir Jimmy Young. It is. Who died this week, sadly, aged 95. He was clearly an absolutely amazing broadcaster. And of all the tributes out this week, I know there's a great deal of love for him at Radio 2. You know, all my kind of ex-colleagues at Radio 2 just thought he was amazing. But one of the best anecdotes I thought I saw about him came from Jeremy Vine, who did a really lovely little tribute where he was talking about... uh, Jimmy doing a phone-in, not a phone-in, he had a guest there, uh, but a listener phoned in for the first time and got through to the production office and was hopping mad about some point that was being made, and Mm. the producer wrote it down on a piece of paper, took it through to the studio, and Jimmy picked it up and not only kind of absorbed it, but asked it to the person Mm. he was interviewing. I think it was Ted Heath, actually. And that was basically the first time anyone had done that, Mm. and that's, what, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, and that is now the bedrock of every radio interview stroke phone in yeah he was basically the first person to say it's okay to interview the Prime Minister and then play Fleetwood Mac and before then <laughs> they were, those were two different shows sometimes the only thing you can do after interviewing the Prime Minister is to play Fleetwood Mac yes Leon your story next don your headphones which news story is this stop the clock and you achieve that in four seconds, so therefore you're down to six points if this answer is correct. One behind Maria. I think that's a, that was a band. Was that Peter Fincham and Tim Hinks' band? It was. Like the, what they called No Expectations? No Expectations, no, very good. Yeah, I, so the story is that Tim Hinks and Peter Fincham, or they, haven't, they haven't actually announced it, but it's sort of story's broken that, they're, I mean, it's the least well-kept secret in, in television, really, that they are forming some kind of new company to working together. And I believe the thought is that it's, they're going to be umbrellaing other people. Uh, other companies, sort of, they'll be sort of funding or sort of running, you know, sort of over- overseeing other companies that, that they're going to form. Um, so all I say is, Peter and Tim, give me a call. I'm around. You're so, ready to be umbrellas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, what was interesting about that is they're, they're calling it Expectation Entertainment. Yes. Yeah. Or EE. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there is another EE, which of course was also formed by two titans, and it was Orange and Deutsche Telekom yes, getting they, together. Got together. I mean, I think they'll. I mean, I, I would imagine they'll make a success, success of it because they tend to have backed the right horses over the years. They do. There's another indie, isn't there, this week that there was news about being backed by Alex Watsit from Wall to Wall and a load of other people. Yes, well. Mom. and yeah. Dave Liddiment as well is involved. Yeah. In yes, it's, yeah, it's kind of like people are yeah, sort of rebelling against the super indies and starting some other proper indies. Well, I think but it's not enough just to run an indie nowadays. People have got to run like sort of umbrella indies. That's the mm. kind of that's the what everyone wants to do. It kind of seems the cool thing to do. They don't want to just run and make set up a new company. You set up five companies at the same time. Okay, finally, Paul, your ten seconds on the clock starts now. Well, first, it's time to uh, talk about the story we left on a bit of a uh, bit of a cliffhanger, didn't we? Oh, this yeah. is about what uh, people on Tinder are doing to uh, sort of increase their profile pictures. Oh, the 10 seconds. I have no that. idea what that Oh, is. well, it was nice no to hear the whole 10 seconds. Absolutely no idea. It was the sound of local TV station That's Manchester. Uh, do you know the story now? Uh, yeah, this is the station who've had some changes made to their promise of performance. Uh, and they've taken out words like um, uh, engage to involve. And, and basically, the whole thing's become a bit of a, a sort of dog's breakfast and basically a very soft promise. So they're, they're promising nothing really now. It is, yes, the story that local TV station That's Manchester has asked Ofcom for the terms of its licence to be changed 
for the third time, according to Private Eye. But what Tinder's got to do with it, God knows. I mean, no one's heard, watched any of that station, have they? So you can't expect Paul to know. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the well, that, I, 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 love, I love your meals even more now, Leon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the point is that local TV is still a uh, business model that's not been proven to work yeah. and, and is a challenging model. And, you know, uh, I don't know whether it ever is going to work, but at the moment, no one is making local TV successfully uh, and making money and producing great telly. So, you know... I mean, uh, watch the space. Reruns of Spaced on London Live. That's, that's I, I'm not sure that's thing. good. That's my <laughs> no, desperation. It's like without having to put a DVD in. Yeah. Normal. When you're stoned, you've still got a DVD <laughs> that's what player. It's or, or, or stream it. I don't know. What, what are the young kids? Whatever the kids yeah. do now. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is it for our show today. Thank you to Paul Robinson, Leon Wilson, and Maria Williams. And as you're now up to date with us, why not get inspired by listening to the latest episode of Media Masters with Sky News's director of content, Christina Nicolotti Squires. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and the media podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.